Welcome to the ARC360 podcast brought to you in association with corporate partners BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Merca, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, S&G Response and Sherwin-Williams, as well as our partners Aztec, the Green Parts Specialists in Darsa, Innovation Group and Prasco UK. So welcome along to this episode of the ARC360 podcast, where we are talking mindset development with Mike Monaghan, business owner at Auto Motivate. Mike has been around the industry for many years, more than he'd probably care to remember, but the passion goes on within and he's now looking at it from a very, very different perspective and bringing mindset development to the masses. Fascinating story to be told, so enjoy this conversation with Mike Monahan. Okay, so thank you very much for joining us today, everybody. And I am joined by Mr. Motivator himself, Mr. Mike Monahan. Mike, how goes it? Fabulous, Mark. I, I just want to do want to make it crystal clear to the listeners. I am not sat here in Lycra. <laughs> Let's just get that right out of the way, because that's going to just destroy people's minds, is that one. But but yeah, great to catch up, Mark, as it always is. It's, it's been too long. Great to have you along. And I'm, I'm glad you clarified that, just in case anyone thought I was sat here talking to you with that vision in my head. I'm now trying to erase it, actually. So... Uh... <laughs> So, so super, great to have you along, Mike. You know, I know what you've been doing across the industry, well, all your career, but certainly in the last few years, you know, I've been an avid follower of what you're doing and I'm sure many have, but it's great to just have this opportunity, talk with you a little bit further and just kind of let you explain a little bit more to the masses in terms of auto-motivate, what you're up to, your involvement in the industry and anything else we get to talk about en route. So uh, so great to have you. So first and foremost, you have got a long history in the industry and we've known each other for, for many years. So how did it all begin for you and what fuels that ongoing passion for the sector? Because boy, oh boy, every time I talk to you, it's still evident that is there and the furnace burns uh, within still very much so. So tell us more about it. Yeah, it does, Mark. And, and and I think until they nail the lid down, it always will. I suppose you, in, in truth, I, I think number one, whatever happened as a child growing up, I, I always had a, a massive fascination with anything that was mechanical. So two wheels, four wheels, you know, soapbox carts, anything. I was just, there was, there was something that was there probably naturally just that fascination as many young boys with with cars and and you know the tv at that time probably on a lighter note through my educational side through my schooling I was not what you would describe as a conditioned student I certainly remember my headmaster saying I think it would be advisable for you to work with your hands because there's not a lot upstairs <laughs> you know there was there was definitely that <laughs> and, uh, that was it but I, I got the chance to become an apprentice in the industry and from the day I became an apprentice through to today 46 years later it's just brilliant it's just a fantastic industry it's we do it down we don't always recognize just how phenomenal it is and how much potential it has and, and how many avenues are available to you. So where you start isn't where you finish, as the song goes, but it, it's it's just that. So the passion is always going to be there, Mark. And because I've had such a terrific career in the industry, it's taken me all over the world and it's shown me incredible things. So I think the thing that fuels me today, I just want to continue to make 
difference. That's it. Good man. Well, nobody can argue with that. That's for sure. So in between that uh, coming in as an apprentice and where you are today, tell us a little bit about that journey because you've been involved in some in some serious projects. Let's be honest that, uh, you know, that resonate today as well. The, the, the projects, I mean, you, you do your career you, and you, you're you fortunate in, in whatever journey anybody takes in this industry to get exposed to many things. And you see things that are good and you see things that are bad. And certainly, I suppose, the, the main thrust of my background post-apprenticeship and the fact that, yeah, I owned a number of garages and I owned a number of body shops. So, yes, I've held the tools. I've been on the spanners you know seeing the good days and the bad days and I've dealt with good customers and bad customers and but the real passion started way back in 1988 where I was just I really was tired of seeing people repair vehicles that I wouldn't trust to fix a wheelbarrow that was that was the start of it and realized that the industry was professional it was an industry I really loved dearly but there was no regulation there was no standards so so MVRA became the vehicle to create benchmark standards in the industry and to change things. And as I said earlier, Mark, you said, make a difference. How can we do things differently? There's some phenomenal people out there and some great talent. But unfortunately, because there's no barriers to entry, the good guys get mixed up with all the bad guys. And, and, and that leaves our industry affected. So it was trying to make a difference. So that was one sort of major part of my life for 25 years um and and you know i i will always have fond memories of mvra and what it did and and the journey that took me on and what it exposed me to because it was the mvra journey that allowed me to see collision globally literally in in 28 different countries i have visited thousands of body shops in my lifetime in all sorts of countries and in all sorts of shapes and sizes so in that context I feel blessed incredibly lucky and incredibly fortunate there's no doubt but what that all ultimately did as as that sort of was rinsing through my mind was I'd seen pretty much what there is to see I'd seen it from the insurer's perspective the paint company's perspective the distributor's perspective the repairer's perspective just about everything and trying to see everybody's angle and the issues and whichever way when we bring it down to collision repair and it is a complex industry it truly is and it's full of moving parts but at the end of the day the the, the real crux of it is we fix cars that's it we fix cars and we've made something that is relatively simple extraordinarily complex but what i saw was incredible advancement over those years from everything that whether it was Kaizen or 5S or Six Sigma, you know, lean, theory of constraint, whatever you wanted, it was all system equipment and process driven. And I know we went from the mom and pop shop to the mega factory and back again and then somewhere in the middle. So we've seen all of that journey, but there was one blinding thing that came through it all is that you can have the best equipment, the best site, the best facilities, and there's one moving part, the most complex moving part of all, and it's called people. So if attitudes and cultures and feelings and behaviours were just not in alignment, you know, then it just doesn't work. It just simply doesn't. You know, you can have the best equipment facilities in the world, but 
you know, if the person comes in with the wrong approach or, the wrong, or they're not communicated too well or they're not inspired, they don't see the role they play. And that's that's the main part. We've become conditioned the wrong way to see what our industry is and what its potential is and the value we bring. That whole piece was the one that said, okay, smart ass, try something different. You, you still want to make a difference. So you're going to have to go back. You're going to have to rethink it, you know, because so much good stuff has been done. So what's missing and what can you do about it? Enzo to motivate was born. Here we are today. Well, a lovely segue into the next question. So well done you. But also what's really fascinating is the fact that you've seen all those body shops across the world and various other businesses, and you've seen it from every angle and it, boils down to that kind of, you know, one thing is, is fascinating. And, and, you know, probably my personal experiences are when you go into a, a repairer or any business for that matter, you just get that intangible thing that says this place is working. And it's very difficult to kind of pinpoint it. Doesn't necessarily have to have, you know, all the bells and whistles and look fantastic and everything else, but there's just something. And I've explained that to many people, probably not very well as I am now. But you get the gist and you're going to fill us in on the details of what that actually is. So today you are Automotivate, a mindset development outfit working across the sector. Yeah. Uh, you've got clients all over well, the kind of yeah, in all, you know, in all sectors of all sizes. Yeah. So tell us a little bit. Well, you've told us kind of the backstory, but tell us a little bit more about, you know, where was Automotivate kind of born? How long has it been in existence and, and what it's all based around, really? It's all the parts. I mean, obviously, anybody who's ever run any business. So I had a business, you know, I had my garages, I had my body shops, I then had MVRA. So you've, you've, you've worked with people and everything that makes us human. You, you've seen it all. You've seen them with good days and bad days and dark days and business issues and family issues. So you've seen all of that emerge and you've lived one level of life with that. Then when I broadened that out to the whole of the industry, it was just simply Mark, my fascination with the subject of human behavior, psychology, cognitive behavioral thinking techniques, all of that just became an absolute fascination. How do you harness the true potential of the human mind, of, of the person? How do you get, because we, we, you know, we go to work, we do our job and it's pretty much routine. But we've got we've got exceptional hidden talents and gifts, and we just we don't exploit those. So I got many many like if you, the work the harder you work, the luckier you get. So within that marking truth, I got the chance to work with some amazing sports psychologists. I got the chance to work with some phenomenal people in while I was in the states that are everything that is motivational and inspirational people driven by that i got to work with some guys who were marines and things like that how how the military think how they see things and we may think it's hard you know in in the collision repair industry getting parts or or getting enough hours to repair vehicles etc but you know if you flip that to the likes of the special forces or the marines and things like that when it's real muck and bullets and one wrong decision and somebody doesn't make it home that's a different mindset entirely so to understand what we are truly capable of became the fascination. So it was probably that a part of that journey, learning all of that, and then taking that 
responsibility, Mark, in fairness, to sort of say, okay, this is an industry you know, it's an industry you love, you want to make a difference. So how are you going to do that? It was taking all of that information and then reading and reading and studying and reading and researching continuously to sort of say, how can I bring enough information that would make people understand it? Because it's certainly not familiar in our industry. I do know when I first started it, and uh, I'm grateful in fairness to David Cresswell at ABP, who allowed me to launch it at one of the ABP events in in 2017 and it was one of those things that some of you going the first feedback I got was Michael we know you've been around a long time but what's this pink and fluffy shit you're talking about (laughs) it was just it was just those things you went okay we may have a hill to climb here you know it was just that type of thing but once you'd broken it down into, into not doctorate type language but language and illustrations and impacts that people could readily understand then people started to go yeah you know what I do feel like that and when somebody says the wrong thing it can spoil my day you know and it lives with me so it was trying to find the mechanisms and the mechanics to create material that people could read understand and not just understand their behaviors but to actually be given some tools, some real tangible things that they can transform their with, you know, through behaviors, practicing, learning things, learning about yourself and just realizing just with a few tips and a few techniques, how you can make a difference to those feelings and emotions. So that was, that was it. And hence off the back of a belief and you know, the belief is everything uh, off the back of a belief system. You went, I, I think I can do this in the industry. And I think eventually the industry will listen. And three years later, they are absolutely listening. <laughs> I'm pleased to say. What you're saying there, I remember fondly because when I was in previous role editor at Body Shop magazine, I was one of the first people, I think, to you sort were, of experience you your new venture. You were one of my guinea pigs. Yeah, that's right. And look what it's done for me. Goodness me. Um, I was with... Simon Bowers of Spraytone, who many people might know, Peter Brandrick of Leckler. And first time I'd met Peter and we got on absolutely, you know, like a house on fire. Brilliant. And and I have to say, you know, all of those things I learned on that very day, uh, truly positive experience. And I carried with me all this time. Can you give us a little insight into how the mind works and how it can be trained. Now, bearing in mind, we've only got a few minutes for this, so uh, it's asking a lot. No, no pressure. The human mind is, is, is a massive thing, as we know, and it's subject and it's complexity. The way that where I start with many of the, the forces, Mark, is, is to really simplify it and actually take people back half a million years, you know, into what conditioned us half a million years ago you know that we lived in a cave for security and protection and and all these and safety so the human brain as we know it today this three and a half pound gray lump that sits in in our head is you know is it's usually complex. it wasn't that size or that complex or half a million years ago the earliest part of mankind's brain is, is a part of the brain called the amygdala and the amygdala is responsible for very basic primary responses which is fight flight and freeze 
That's it. It's just the way our brain, we either like it, we don't like it, or we're not sure. But as a result of that, it creates a certain amount of feelings. And essentially, the human animal is, is principally driven by fear. You know, because everything that was outside the cave was bigger, hairier, and scarier than we were, and it had bigger teeth. If we heard a branch break outside the cave, our natural instinct was one of fear because we recognized that what was outside the cave was, was bigger and could threaten and harm us. Then we had to make a decision. We were either going to take it on, fight it, zip up the Nikes and do one and leg it, or freeze where your body was infused with so much natural chemistry that your body was overloaded with cortisol or adrenaline and you know these biological responses that your brain triggers in your body. And that's the conditioning that, that sits within it. As apart from the amygdala, you then go into, as our brain develops, you go into the limbic region of the brain, which is the one that's responsible for thoughts and feelings and largely where our subconscious mind sits. And that's where our thoughts and our memories and our feelings, you know, we've, we've had happy days in the past and we've had good, bad days in the past, but they're all locked away and stored, but they are triggered by the amygdala and it will pull them in at random from your own personal database, your, your living memories. And then the front part of the brain, the most latest to develop and the most advanced part, which is, is the prefrontal neocortex, which is the part of the brain that is responsible for making decisions and taking action. But the action is taken, driven by the thoughts prior to that. So if it was an angry thought, the brain and the body will react angrily. If it's a positive or a negative thought, it behaves in accordance with the stimulus. Part of the, the course is, is trying to show people essentially how to calm the amygdala, how to confuse it, in fact, how to trick the amygdala. There's certain parts of our human wiring and our evolution that is very hard to control. But once you understand what those triggers are or the things that may trigger it, you can combat that by changing your thought patterns. So the more conditioning you can do that, you physically change the neural pathways, the way in which your brain is physically wired. And you can develop the parts of the brain that will really resonate in a way that you stay calm. You see the positive attributes. Even if there are negative things there, you actually realize how to navigate them better. They don't get you as frustrated. You don't get as angry. And that calming influence Taking that on board, it massively impacts your life, the lives of others, your friends, your colleagues, your loved ones. But what it does, it makes it better for you because you change your thinking, you change your reactions, you change your choices. And that's so some of that can be can be taught fairly quickly. Now, it has to be practiced by the individual. There's no doubt about that. But it can be taught very often, Mark, in the courses I've run today. Just that educational aspect of people going, wow, that just makes so much sense, but I didn't know. Why, why do they not teach this at school? You know, it's, it's all of those things. And, and so we know that this is predominant in sport. We know it's in all forms of sport. We know in the corporate life, it's about human performance and human development. So not just sport, but in business as well. And I think one of the challenges we, we face, Mark, is we still 
in the collision industry, all too often, sadly, with techs or painters and even front of house people, we still see it as a blue collar industry. Whereas if it was typically, and this is very crude, but if it was a white collar industry where you're driven to performance, you're driven to increase sales, you're driven to do certain things, you know you have to get on that merry-go-round and find a way to be better than the next person in order to, to, to drive your career and your business and your revenues. But with a blue collar, we tend to be locked into we just fix things with our hands and therefore we just work from instructions and that actually prevents you seeing how good you can be. So it's not how good you are, because we've got some great talent. It's not how good you are, it's how good you could be. And that's where the fascination comes from. Really interesting. And we can start to see where it kind of, I suppose, links with the industry with the last little bit you've said there. So take that one step further then. How has it been received in the industry? You kind of, you know, explained initially, perhaps you thought it was going to be a bit of an uphill struggle. I thought um, it was, I thought it was. But in, in any market, Mark, in any market, there are always... There are always, and, and in the repair industry as well, uh, we are blessed. There are some very, very forward thinking people out there who are looking for the edge, who are looking for that competitive angle. If it's new, even if they don't understand it or they don't know it, and they may not even trust it, but they'll still try it. The, you know, let, let's just, let's not write it off. Whereas human nature too often, if, I, if I'm not certain about it, I'm more likely to not try it. You know, when you get the people who do try it, and I think one thing that is incredible, Mark, I mean, and is I've had those pioneers, let's, let's say the pioneers, the guys who were willing to step up, try do something different. And that was brilliant because I had some phenomenal people, yourself and Peter and, and, and Simon and I, who were just brave enough to be guinea pigs to let me show you what I think this could do for our industry. Then I got some phenomenal names, some, some of the great repairers, who obviously I've grown up with over the last 40 years and said, okay, Mike, you know, I'll send you a couple of guys. Let's give it a try. And that started to pick up some momentum, you know, from the feedback and, and the impact it had. So that was, that was encouraging. And then it started to build that momentum, Mark. And I was very pleased with the progress and the way the business was developing. And that allowed me to move from not just mindset, but to introduce mindset behavioral thinking into management into leadership and all and front of house middle of house back of house and i know you your listeners mark may well absolutely shoot me for this but anybody who's been in the industry a long time would would i think at least in principle accept this is that there's several things we've done wrong in our industry when we've trained we've trained brilliantly for technical skills but not for the soft skills and yet the world's moved on we tragically, we've got a lot of ex-techs, great techs, great painters who suddenly wear a shirt and a tie and they're given a title of manager or supervisor, but they've never been trained to have those skills. It's like sink or swim, learn on the job. And you're going, that's, that's really not the right way to go about it. So I had those pioneers and those early adopters. It's allowed me to grow the business in many dimensions. Then, lo and behold, Mark, along comes the pandemic. And the pandemic has been an incredible thing, I think, that 
because it was a, a God willing, a once in a lifetime situation, we were all shocked. We didn't, eat, and until that hit, we none of us had heard the word furlough before. It was just not in our vocabulary. It comes along, and all of a sudden, we are we're we're in this crisis which we technically couldn't plan for. So we were learning so much and so quickly and so intensively, but we started to see firsthand the impact it was having on people's lives, their stresses, their home life, their work life, the work-life balance, and the working from home and all these things. It was like this massive rush of situations and scenarios that we'd never witnessed before and not to that scale or that level. The irony was when people started to feel stressed and tense and anxious and worried and the mental health started to kick in and, and you know, we could physically see people struggling with, within that environment. And that was probably one of the massive turning points where people started to look for solutions because they genuinely knew that their people were being affected. And in the, when everything's going smoothly and everything's the rush, the normal frantic industry that we, we live in and, and the challenges it presents us every day, this was almost like a, an enforced pause button moment where everything technically went into slow motion for a moment. And we started to realize about well-being, mental health, physical health. And suddenly we, we became rapidly aware of people's mindset and behaviors and conditions. And that's manifested itself now, Mark, into me developing more and more material, more and more courses from short, quick, you know, I need a quick fix to how do I get this person through this journey for the next 12 months and bring them out the other side feeling incredible, better than they've ever felt before. So it's a combination of all of that right now. So the pandemic's had a very strange impact, but it's, it's left us with an impact where we are more acutely aware of how we need to protect the most valuable asset that we have, and that's our people. That's where we are today fascinating to see how it's kind of all led to this point one of the impacts of the pandemic a positive is that we are far more aware of, uh, of mental health and, and people's well-being and and everything else so um so you know it's it's there are takeaways there are positives to be had from it all despite oh, obviously everything that has has gone on so i suppose moving away directly from the mindset piece yeah. uh, for a moment although arguably still interlinked but how do you see the industry shaping up post-pandemic are we in a whole new realm where we kind of history books are, are cast aside and we're now in a completely different environment whether that be work practices and or you know how we approach our business great question by the way i think on, on that side like, yeah of course the world has changed i think it's changed forever you know i mean i know there's there's the, again it's you can't separate it from mindset and natural music, we, we want to go back to our comfort zone, how it was. Even though when we lived in our comfort zone, we realized it wasn't that comfortable, but we somehow want to get back there. You know, so, it's, it's, so we've got some uncertainty ahead of us, but this industry, if nothing, is resilient and it can be incredibly creative. And I, I think it, it is, it's not how good we were, it is still how good we could be. I can't, I know I'm probably conditioned that way more but I, I can only see an incredible future for our industry you know I think there was a lot of people in the industry who shouldn't have been in the industry many years ago 
today we've got some we've got some world class talent in this country. We absolutely have, but we can we can still do so much more. So I think we are changing where we're realizing we can learn more, we can be more efficient, we have to think differently. We can't get locked into the old conversations and the old behaviors. We've got to move that argument on. I'm not saying some of them aren't real, but we've got to move the argument on because everybody needs to, to really just think differently and, and be open to, to taking on new new risks, new challenges and be brave, be fearless. You know, let, let's give it a go and see how where we can go with it rather than arguing about the minutiae that won't help anyone. I think the, the world is definitely going to change forever. I think we will adapt. Would you still argue it will always end up being the story of the survival of the fittest? Yes, I think it will. I think we will see changes uh, in the marketplace, which every every listener will know, whether it's, it's the emergence of the regional groups and, and what they're doing and the footprint they're creating. What are the manufacturers going to do? Are the manufacturers going to get strong enough to be able to take on the insurers? You know, the battle of the, the titans, you know, all of that's going to be there. Or do we actually say, guys, can we please wise up? We do not need to constantly argue. But if we get around a table and start to talk creatively and talk about where we want to go, not where we've been, then I think we could be a phenomenal industry. And that in itself will allow us to be even more creative. It's just a great industry. And, and we, we will never stop being a great industry. And, you know, yeah, for the brave souls who, who are looking forward and not looking back, they will be the survivors, undoubtedly. Great stuff. So, you know, linked with that then, and, you know, with all your experience and having, you know, obviously seen the changes over the past years, over the past 12 months, perhaps even more so, what do you think makes a business ready for the future? And does the same thing apply today? Or is there, you know, is there kind of more needed than has ever been before? You've really worked hard on your questions, Phil. <laughs> uh, Mark, I, I, I know this is, so this is very much my personal view. We know technology is changing and we have to be really good because the product is changing. And therefore, our systems and our equipment and our processes will absolutely, you know, have to be good. But it's the very reason, Mark, that Automotivate has a life. It, the, the, we are moving into a realm generationally. We're desperate for apprentices. But unfortunately, and all too often, we take on this bright young talent and then we put them with some people who really don't want to advance that because they're thinking the old way and that affects almost dangerously can contaminate the young minds and therefore history repeats itself. I think we've got a real dichotomy uh, ahead of us. I think we have to spend much more time with our culture, our behaviors, our methods, our rewards, you know, because we, we our industry was pretty much, you know, we, we pushed the metal through based on certain KPI metrics and financials and bonuses and all these things. But many times th those create the wrong behaviors. So I think we need to re-examine much more of the softer skills 
because we've got it's not the generation that we're working with it's the generation that we need and the generation that will follow us that's the most important thing. So i think there is a huge educational need in our industry so it sounds like a sales pitch you're still coming back to mindset because it is that's exactly what it is if we don't change the way we think history has a real danger of repeating itself and that would be a tragedy so i think culture feelings behaviors understanding each other better understanding our wants and needs revisiting our core values what we stand for what we mean and the impact we have i mean we don't just fix cars mark we restore people's lives that's what we do we put them back safely we make them get through this traumatic experience hopefully you know feeling good at the end of that experience and and forgetting the trauma and actually going do you know what that was fairly painless i thought it was going to be traumatic because in the past it was but actually this was made easy. There was no conflict between the body shop and the insurer, none between the engineer and the body shop. Can we please move past this? It's so old, it's got cobwebs on it. You know, we just need to move on. All right, there we go. Right, we've we've lit the furnace and it's it's burning now, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> so so whilst we've got you revved up, um, what would be then your your sort of message to anyone listening and trying to figure out, I suppose their next steps. Let's be honest, everyone's kind of you know re-emerging, and I use that term that uh, you know where do I go now? What historic data can I rely on? Can I rely on anything anymore? But, you know, next steps, whether that be in business or individuals in their career, you know, what would be your advice or, or kind of your, your, your parting gambit? Parting gambit. I work with some incredible talent. But truthfully, some of the delegates that go through the course inspire the hell out of me. Their passion for the industry and what they want to do and what they think they can achieve if they were given the chance. We, we still are conditioned to a large extent by our past. It's the thing we reflect back on. It's always the place that we go to. We hang on to that dearly and wrongly by hanging on to the past. So I think we are entering a time where, again, not how good you are, how good you could be has to be the mantra that says, you know, you don't have to do it alone. There's some great coaches out there. We've always got this bad rep as, you know, it's a consultant takes you watch off you, tells you the time and sells it back to you. We've heard it all before. But the reality is sometimes the, the, the advantage of a coach, whatever industry or sport you're in, a coach very often can see what you can't see and help you to make it better. That's it. Be brave, be objective, and be willing to challenge yourself. Be willing to take new risks to see not how good you are, but how good you could be. That would be my advice. Excellent, Mike. Love it. You know, I'm a big fan of all this stuff, especially with our kind of sporting interests as well. So it always fascinates me talking to you. So uh, I'm sat here. I'm ready to go for a run now. So uh, no, come on. <laughs> right. So uh, let's do the quick fire question round. Okay. Um, all right. So again, this is the one where we re really drill down into the nitty gritty and get behind the scenes of Mike Monaghan. So okay. what one thing might not many people know about you? Here's a random for you. I 
have no feeling in the toes of my left foot. <laughs> okay. Not many will know that. Okay, so uh, yeah, next time we're at an industry event, um, if you want to tread on someone's toes, Mike Monaghan's left, left foot. Left foot, yeah. make sure it's the left foot, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, you'll soon know if it's the right one. Um, okay, what would your alter ego be doing as a career right now? Oh, alter ego. Obi-Wan Kenobi, I'd, tr- I'd be training Jedi warriors. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a bit too close to reality to what you're actually doing at the moment? I just, you know, there's just nothing. It's just great. Let's let's all be superheroes. Oh, I love it. Best bit of business advice you've ever heard, seen or received? It's that sticks with me every day, Mark. Uh, a guy who taught me, coached me when I first went out on my own in business. Those Those short words, know your numbers. I like that. I like that a lot. Very interesting. And the final one, and again, this is usually the one that kind of divides the industry, stroke the nation. Self-driving vehicles, for you, yes or no, and why? Oh, it's got to be a two-part answer. No, because we have a love affair with the motor car, and part of the joy of driving is the experience of driving, not having the car take you. Part two, pre-COVID, stuck on the M6 for five hours, Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe definitely yes. Maybe definitely yes. If I could get some work done and not have to concentrate on the traffic, I just might go for that. Time and place. I think maybe there's room for both. Hey, do you know what? The more I ask that question, the more I get that impression that that is exactly the case it's going to be for a lot of people. So very interesting stuff. Hey, Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure chatting to you. Always. Cheers, bud. And uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Take care, buddy. All right, you take. Thanks, guys. So there we have it. Fascinating insight into the world of Mike Monaghan and uh, obviously mindset development. Um, what's going on with Automotivate, how Mike brings his passion to the industry and obviously what the benefits and outcomes can be. So a great insight there. I hope everybody's enjoyed it. And a big thank you, obviously, to Mike for sharing those insights with us. So big thank you, as always, to our corporate partners, BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Merca, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, S&G Response and Sherwin-Williams, as well as our partners, Aztec, the Green Parts Specialists in DASA, Innovation Group and Presco UK. You've been listening to the ARC360 podcast. Hope you enjoyed it and we look forward to catching up with you soon. Take care.